Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Tech Chit Chat Show. My name is Ken from Northern Viking Everyday and Northern Viking Explorer on YouTube. I'm here with my co-host, Stephen Loney. You can find him on YouTube at Stephen Loney or on Twitter at 8BitWarrior. He is our biggest tech person. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but you're good at tech stuff and you know a lot. Some How are you today? Stuff. I'm doing well. Yeah, doing really good. Awesome. So, yeah. How about yourself? Morning. Yeah, I can't complain too much. Just uh, got the kids out the door to school and you know, I just realized though, here. what's that? This is the first morning we've done this, and I forgot my coffee. There's no coffee in my hand this okay. morning. Okay. I'm gonna cut the video right here. You run and get coffee, and we'll keep going. Yes. <laughs> The magic of technology where you can instantly get coffee. <laughs> I have coffee now. Uh, I've got mine too. I should have actually gone for a refill while you did that. <laughs> we should just have Our, coffee machines right next to us here. That would just... Uh, that would be that would a lot me. easier. <laughs> we can brew it while we record. Yeah. No, you asked me how I had, was doing. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I had a good weekend. Good. Mother's Day yesterday did all the Mother's Day stuff. So right back at it again here today. Mm -hmm. Well, should we dive right into this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First up, many of you may have heard or may not have heard. Nintendo announces Game Builder Garage. This is kind of cool if you are into programming. So Nintendo is starting to cater to all you young, inspiring, budding game designers who would like to start learning to code on your Nintendo Switch. This is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, so apparently, so um, the Game Builder Garage allows you to learn to program. It allows you to, um, there's kind of games that help you. There's quizzes, different things like that. And it is coming to Nintendo Switch, and I believe it's only thirty dollars, um, and it's coming next month. Have you uh, ever tried anything like this out, Stephen? From what I see, it's more of a visual type of programming. Yeah. So first off, it's interesting that it's only thirty dollars. So they're really going cheap on that. That's that's mm -hmm. cool. So obviously, it looks like they're trying to make it accessible. So yeah. there's some kind of like some initiative to make it accessible to more people. Mm -hmm. um, this, yeah, this, I'm really interested to see Nintendo's take on this because there have been other things that have done this. One, actually, um, is Little Big Planet on, from Sony. Yeah. Uh, the, on the Sony PlayStation. Little Big Planet actually is programming hidden in like other terms. Like it's, but it's, so I'm, I'm wondering if this will be, feel a bit like Little Big Planet in some regards. Um, mm -hmm. You're familiar also with like Scratch and like there's tools like that. Well, th that's what I was going to say. When I w looked at the videos on this, it looked very similar to Scratch. I've um, used that at work a little bit. And so this was kind of cool to me. Just I'm, first of all, I'll say I'm not very good at it, but yeah. I haven't practiced very much. But I think it's kind of cool for those who are, it teaches you the basics without having to maybe learn, know how to type it all out. So yeah, um, yeah. Th that's what's kind of cool about it. So it gets you kind of rolling and understanding the concepts of programming. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm partly interested because like I use Game Maker Studio, which has its own like um, drag and drop, like no programming required system. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and I'm not a big, like personally, not actually a big fan of, um, I shouldn't say that, but sometimes I just wonder if like some of the easy things is just actually hiding code. And it's just, there's this balance between just actually having someone just code and trying to pretend like they're not. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm interested to see what game makers take on this is because they, they had Nintendo is some of the top has some of the top game designers out there. So I'm really curious to see how they tackle this challenge of balancing um, teaching coding to people who don't have experience with it. And like, are yeah. they going to, are they going to just like, so obviously from the name of it, they're embracing the code side. They're not trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're going to teach you how to code. We're going to teach you the concepts. And, uh, well, and I think similarly, like you brought up little big plan. I think this is designed that you can share your games and things that you make with others as well. So, um, right. It's not just you make it and it's personal to you. It's something I believe that you can share with others, which is kind of cool as well. Okay. No, that's really cool. And that, that is more motivating to to do that and to share that. So mm -hmm. I'm excited. I don't know if I'll use it, um, but uh, I might might look into it just to see how they do things. Uh, yeah. Even as a programmer to be like, okay, how did they structure things? Because even as a game designer, I might build a custom level editor. Can I learn something from Nintendo to see how they build editors to improve my own systems too? So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, and I'm always surprised how going back to the little big planet just some of the levels that people were able to build right with those programs are pretty cool i know um, right. my kids play some of those levels and um <laughs> it's pretty funny watching some of them and they look some of them are pretty much impossible to complete but they're kind of fun to watch and amazing that right. people took the time to put them together so and what some people may not realized when making those levels is that they were programming. Yeah. And they, and they didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of a cool thing. We'll see where that, where that goes. Mm -hmm. So I know we talked about Microsoft and discord, I think a couple of weeks ago, how, um, discord said no to Microsoft and we kind of speculated, is there something more coming in the pipeline that we haven't heard about? Right. Um, just because those talks seem to cut off, because I think Microsoft was, uh, if I remember, it was around ten billion dollars they were offering to buy Discord, and that those talks just got shut down. And now all of a sudden this week there was some major news from PlayStation. Um, I believe they bought a minority stake in Discord and a partnership with Discord for Discord to get integrated into PlayStation. So kind of our right. our uh, our talk about. Game Builder and even Little Big Planet brings us right into PlayStation. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? It's pretty cool. I know we use Discord when we plan this show. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we use we it use all it. the time. So yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting is that uh, what people were speculating, people were speculating that Microsoft wanted to buy Discord to integrate it with Xbox Live and their system and their stuff. And then now Sony's gone and done that very thing without even buying Discord. So, and I'm wondering too, is like, is Microsoft also gonna then buy a partial stake in it as well and have their stuff tied in? Other than like, mm -hmm. I think this is good. I think this is, I think the majority of people are probably happy that Discord hasn't been bought out so that the leadership and the, the culture of Discord can continue that people yeah. generally seem to like. Uh, if it's not broken, why fix it kind of thing right now? Mm -hmm. And so this seems good to me. It seems like a healthy thing that this like partnership just seems better than just outright buying a company. Like why not just invest in them and work with them? Why do you have yeah. to buy them outright? 
I think my initial concerns with the whole Microsoft end of things before this PlayStation announcement was they didn't actually come out and say that it was for the Xbox. And I was just worried they're going to integrate it into Microsoft and it becomes some thing like Skype that you never really talk about anymore or something that just they morph into something that's not the same as its original roots. And I like how PlayStation's already announcing... um, and let me bring this up here. I should have brought it up, um, their article. But they've already, in their announcements, they talk about it being integrated into the PlayStation. And I think it's, right. um, I don't, from, I don't get the feeling that they're going to want to change too much, you know? And right. I feel like with Microsoft, there's, I was scared that they were going to change a lot with it. So, right. Um, kind of excited to see where this goes. And I think it's supposed to start being integrated. Where was it here? Um, early next year from my understanding. So in 2020, okay. So this basically means then if you have a PlayStation account, um, PS4, PS5, that we can then talk to discord users directly from the PlayStation. That's kind of what the, well, yeah, is there going to, that's a question. I, and I don't know if that's been released yet, but when you're chatting on PlayStation, will you be able to chat with someone on PC? Right. Um, my assumption is yes. There's a lot yeah, more cross, cross-platform cross play in game. So um, that'd yeah. be kind of cool. And then like, how much does that tie in? Um, is it gonna tie into their video call system as well? Is it gonna tie into like, how far does that go? Mm-hmm. Um, because, because if it did, I wouldn't complain. If they, yeah. if they went that far, it's like, well, that'd be cool if someone on, if say one of your kids called me up on the PlayStation on the Discord and I was able to chat, you know, and while they're while you're on your yeah. The other thing is it opens up all sorts of opportunities on smart televisions as well. Sony's big into smart TVs, so are we going to see Discord integrated into to TVs? Um, right. Y- right. You may see oh. that as well. So yeah, um, that's. So you can walk into a Costco and see Discord on the TV as one of the highlights for being sold. Yeah, it's possible. If they've already got yeah. the partnership, why not? Right? So hmm. um, I guess, I mean, I don't think it would be that hard to plug a webcam into the USB port on your no. TV and allow that to work. And I, I, I mean, they probably just have to push a few buttons to enable something like that. I'm sure it's more than a few buttons, but you know what I mean? It's pretty simple for them to start adding webcams and yeah. stuff to TVs. But now now I'm seeing a Sony TV with Discord on it with a with a with a webcam in the TV. For yeah, better or for why worse. not? It's just it just looks like you know? a jumbo jumbo smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> and like, then a camera a camera on the back of your TV so you just put it against the window and then you can see outside as well. <laughs> okay. All right, I lost you there. <laughs> the jumbo smartphone thing. Come on. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, right. but that's this is cool though. I, I'm excited. It sounds like a really good thing. I, I'm hoping more companies do this kind of thing where they partner up rather than selling out and losing your culture. Partner, mm-hmm. get get smaller investors that which are probably still quite big chunks of money. Yeah. Seems healthier than selling out and becoming publicly traded or whatnot. It's yeah. Just. So I'm all for this. I like this. Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's it's a good thing. So I'm a lot happier with this than with the Microsoft thing. All right, let's roll on. Still with Sony, 
this is kind of more interesting to myself. Sony is ditching their DSLR camera. So um, they're old, I don't want to call them old fashioned because they were still a digital camera, but they're mirrored cameras. They're ditching those and they're going to be going solely to mirrorless cameras. Now, a couple of things, like I'll do a really basic statement on what that is. Originally, a DSLR camera, it had a mirror in there and the mirror would flip up and release the image onto the, the sensor. Or in the olden days, it used to be film there and it would allow the image to go onto the film. Mm -hmm. um, so they were still using that technology where it would hit the mirror um, so you could see it through the eye viewer, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was digital or not, but kind of that's what the technology was. Then came along something called the mirrorless camera and it got rid of the mirror and it basically just let what it saw right onto the sensor. Um, right. So one of the big things was, I see some people complaining about this saying, oh, they, they use their eyepiece or they, um, in, in their camera and they, they're kind of annoyed about this and they really want it to be old fashioned. Well, I've got a couple cameras here. I have all mirrorless cameras. This Sony one is a mirrorless camera. It's got an eyepiece. I have never used this eyepiece once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, never use that. This Canon camera, no eyepiece. Do I even notice that it doesn't have an eyepiece? No, you can buy an eyepiece adapter for the top, but I don't care. Right. So right. The I, I struggle with that and I, I get it. Some people need it, but for myself, I kind of got into cameras after the DSLR. I did have a DSLR before um, and it actually, I got that probably whew, over 10 years ago. 13 years ago and I got rid of it. That one didn't have a live sent or a live view. And I kind of actually hated looking through the little hole. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know that's not what this is all about, but I, I don't like that argument. Yeah. Um, I think it's just people aren't used to it. So in the Sony's ditching their DSLRs and moving to mirrorless cameras. And I think they've had a lot of success with, um, video they're one of the most popular cameras for doing video um, right. with with their mirrorless line and i just think that they've realized it's time to change and that's an old technology now whether people like it or not well i'm thinking now, so I, I didn't even understand the difference between mirrorless and not mirrorless until today to be honest mm -hmm. i had heard that term and i didn't know and, and i was like oh that's it that's the only thing yeah. Like, well, if you're if you're used to taking pictures on your phone, then you're already used to a mirrorless camera. Yeah. No, for sure. So, and I was like, "That's it. I can live without." And I'm. I feel like I could be like a film snob to some degree, and yeah. I'm okay with it. And I'm like, yeah. "That's okay." Now, there may be certain cases where you do still need the mirror. There might be the time, but that could still become a specialty camera that can still be sold in certain niche groups. You pay a premium to keep that. Yeah. yeah. Like. Some of us still like, uh, um, there's even, there's certain phone designs that they've been changing phones in general. And I want like, some of us still want the 3.5 millimeter audio jack. And well, I actually be willing to pay premium for that now. It's like, I'll yeah. pay an extra 25 bucks to have that. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I want that. So I'm thinking as long as there's companies that continue to um, make a, um, 
even if even if it becomes a premium version of the phone uh, of the camera that has it still. But I, for the majority yeah. of people, I don't think people are going to miss it. Yeah, and and one thing with the mirrorless as well is the technology for autofocus and everything like that. I think has grown so much. So you've got your eye auto, like it finds your eyes or face tracking, and it automatically right. knows all that. And I think that's so much superior in a mirrorless camera. I, the camera I'm filming out on up here has a square around my face. I know my face is in focus yeah. because I know that. So, um, so there's more there's more pros to cons to the mirrorless. Is what you're saying? I, I think it's just it's yeah. I think there is, but I think it's just better. Like I think. Um, the technologies come along and it doesn't say, I mean, they, some of the DSLR cameras didn't have some of that technology. I just think it's better with this. Yeah. I tried to film um, a video ooh, about a year ago on a DSLR that I didn't own and I couldn't even figure out how to record. I didn't like, I, I understood the concept, but in my mind I hit record and I was, I was wondering why the camera was making a weird noise. And it was actually the, the mirror flipping up so that the video could come onto the sensor. I didn't realize that the mirror had to stay open because I hadn't filmed on that before. It was just an odd thing to me. Whereas these, mm. you just push the button and start recording because right. it all just goes right on to the sensor. Maybe if I pull the or the lens off this, I don't know if you'll be able to see that, but you can see the sensor is right there right. and the light just goes right onto the sensor. So, right. Um, sorry for those of you who are listening at home on a podcast that you can't see that, but you can Google it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what model camera is that? That's the Sony a 6,000. So this is a um, decent one for if you're doing um, a lot, like even live streams like this, you can get clean HDMI. Um, yeah. And if you're not sure what clean HDMI is, it's all the writing on the screen doesn't show up on your feed. So um, yeah. the other one I'm filming on right now is a Canon M 200 that gives clean HDMI. So um, you're able to get a higher quality video feed with those right. cameras. So yeah. Right. Um, well, let's keep rolling. Right. Spectre, <laughs> not yeah. James Bond Spectre. <laughs> exploits. Yeah. Spectre exploits. So I'm going to let you have this one. <laughs> you let me have this one? Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Spectre exploit. So let me read the title. I'll do that part. Okay. So this article, new Spectre exploits beat all mitigations, fixes and severely degrade performance. Now you mm -hmm. need to talk and explain what's going on because <laughs> I'm so confused. That that wasn't clear. <laughs> all right. So what this is, Spectre is the name for a potential. So Spectre is not a virus. It's not some malicious software out there right now. Spectre is a, what you can call a flaw in the design of um, the, like a physical, like a flaw in how modern um, CPUs work for, um, uh, so when, when some modern CPUs that have multi-threading, so like with AMD, it's um, SMT, so sim simultaneous multi-threading, uh, Intel is called hyper-threading. So you may have like two processors on your, on your computer, but it has four logical threads. So it has what's called like multi-threading. Um, so it's this uh, Spectre exploit seems to be taking advantage of multi-threading um, as well as the cache, what's called a cache on the CPU. A cache is kind of like, 
when the processor does some processing and it will save a little bit of memory on the processor to quickly access later. So instead of having to go all the way to system RAM or to, the, to your hard drive, it'll, it'll, keep, uh, it'll keep bits of data directly on the CPU so it can quickly look up again for quick, like just quick access. Um, so what's happening is the, if I'm understanding correctly, when you have hyper-threading in, enabled, one physical core um, will have two logical cores, but they'll share the same cache. So I think what's happening is you might have a secure, um, secure um, data being accessed on one thread, but then a second thread that's not secured might be able to access the cache used in the other thread executed. So you have, okay. it's hard to explain, but you have data, you have one thread being, being able to peek into potentially into the cache of another thread when it's not supposed to. Because, but this is a... So, it, so is this, this vulnerability just is a loophole for hackers to get into your computer? Is that right? So, yeah, so it's it's a vulnerability that allows people to potentially snoop on your data. Okay. It allows you to potentially snoop and to access bits of data. So as is explained, this is a very, um, not an easy thing to pull off. So this is a like a research team that managed to prove that they could do it. But it's stated that this is very technical. Like even as I'm trying to explain it, it's like, this is not an easy concept. Like mm -hmm. this is, you would have to have some really, um, so what they're thinking is on the day-to-day -day level for like us, it probably won't be an issue, but they're saying that like, like countries that have like hackers that are trying to hack into like another country's database, then it's an issue when you have specialized yeah. millions or not a billion dollars put into a team to try to extract data out of another country's server. Okay. Um, that's when it becomes an issue. So for day to day for us, it probably won't be an issue. Um, but for servers that need to keep encrypted data and secure data that have multi-threading, it could bring up an issue. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, and so uh, what's mentioned is, so this has been an issue before with like this kind of specter. There was two of them. There's one called specters, another one called, I think, meltdown, which is a different issue, but these are vulnerabilities in the actual chips and my, uh, Intel has added, uh, some updates to try to fix that in their, what's called their micro code, I think. Um, and it's had just a little bit of hit on performance, but this team is saying that to fix this issue could cause severe performance issues for Intel and AMD if they want to fix it. Okay. And that's what's hard is like, yeah, they can fix it, but it could severely, um, because that cache that's used is used to improve performance. Yeah. Like a lot, it's okay. a really quick access. And if you are hurting that cache, you're now disrupting the performance of your processors. So yeah, so potentially it's a low risk for me. I don't care, like leave my processor alone. If someone wants to snoop in my code, whatever, I don't care, right? Snoop yeah. away. I, I, I want my fast, right? I don't yeah. care if you want to see that I was watching puppy dogs on YouTube. I don't care. Um, but it's just like, so, but, but for server ends, for, for countries that need secure data, they need to be aware of this. Um, it affects uh, Intel CPUs apparently all the way from back to 2011 and AMD processors back to 2017. Okay. That have uh, hyper-threading and SMT. Yeah. So day-to-day -day for us, probably not an issue, but for servers and national security, um, people can potentially, it's very hard to pull off, but you can use this caching hyper-threading system to like snoop on data potentially. And um, yeah. Interesting. Now did that you learn probably, anything? I did, <laughs> but I still feel lost.
But <laughs> with that, we'll just move on. Yeah. <laughs> We'll just vector on to the next article here. What is James Bond? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, the next thing is Intel plant upgrades and IBM nanometer. Uh, okay. <laughs> I say nanometer. Is that what that actually is? IBM yep. two nanometer chips. Yep, um, I'm that's right. making things up and hopefully they're correct. <laughs> that was a pretty good makeup because you're accurate. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a couple things going on here. Um, so with all like the shortages and chips being used in everything, um, there there has been some shortages. So Intel is investing three and a half billion dollars into a new um, or into some fabrication plant upgrades in New Mexico, as well as they've already announced a twenty billion dollar um, announcement into two new fabrication plants in Arizona as well. So there's some cool stuff happening here. They, I guess they want to start, um, I shouldn't say start, but um, just reinvest into the United States and just really get chips hustling along here in the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, 700 new jobs over the next three years. And um, I think that's some pretty good news um, mm -hmm. to kind of help keep up with demand on these chips. Yeah, it's good Good for, I think, demand. Um, I think it's a good thing, too. I know that in the States, I think one ish, one thing brought up, I think, has been security. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good for a country, so for America to have, like, its own um, fabrications. And I think the government should only buy um, chips manufactured out of these plants, to be honest. Um, ideally, if, you're not, if your country has its own fabrication plants, you should buy your chips only from there for government services and security. Um, mm. and I'm not saying that other foreign countries are doing nefarious things, but I just think as a practice of national security, I think it's good for America on their part. Um, you know, not that I think it was a national security issue to get them out of Taiwan and things like that. I wouldn't say that. Um, cause I think that's like fine, but I just think it's good for America. I think it's good to bring jobs. Um, uh, and yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that all being said, and I agree, um, it is just good to be good for that. But there um, clearly there is demand. TSMC has also invested billions of dollars in their fabrication, as well as um, some in Arizona as well, mostly in Taiwan, but some in Arizona. So they're, right. they're bringing some production to the US as well. And I think it's a, just a good thing um, to help keep, up, keep caught up on, on chip production and we all know PC parts are just skyrocketing right now. So if we can keep a control of some yeah. of that, um, that would be well, really good. And the, look, to think about it. So this, this is a little bit political, but you've had a certain large country moving on a smaller country that makes chips. So you got a big country that makes chips, impeding on a smaller country that makes chips. And the North, North American countries in the West may not have access to those production facilities in a number of years if things go weird. If, yeah. If, and so like, this is, you may lose access to that whole area of the world if something went down and, and what, where would America and North America get their chips from? Well, not just that, that for sure, but also even you look at what's happened this year, um, or in the past year with, um, COVID and everything, we just, you don't know what supply chains can stop. You don't know. Yeah. I mean, 
if yeah. you shut down all the transportation or you shut down this and that, it's it just creates such a demand and it's really good if we can have more of it sourced locally. So I think that's really, yeah. really important. The other <laughs> the, thing- the farm, Sorry, the chip maker, the farm market for uh, chip making. <laughs> <laughs> the potato chip making. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna head down to the local uh, foundry here and pick up some chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of brings us into this, um, IBM is unveiling the world's first Two nanometer chip with nano sheet check tech <laughs> Intel and Samsung to benefit. Do you want fifty tell us billion fifty billion transistors in a tiny chip? Um, that's a lot. So this is basically just the like the shrinking down of chip size. I think we may have talked about this before in a previous episode, but they've been continually back in the day. They started with like transistors being like, you know, like tube teeth, like just big, mm -hmm. and they've been shrinking, 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 shrinking. So this is just the continued process of shrinking down the transistors, because the smaller you make them, the more power efficient they become, usually. Yeah. So it just allows you to get more efficient. So your phones can run longer, you know, all that more efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a good thing. It does come with its own with its own challenges. Sometimes you can't push as much raw power through the chip at these lower sizes. So you'll get the power efficiency, but you can't always get the same. Um, and that might be one of the reasons why Intel has stayed with uh, 14 nanometer for so long. Because mm -hmm. I think they've been able to push higher core clocks on their processors, where when you start getting to the lower, it's hard to push higher clocks as easily. I well, believe. I thought the one thing in reading this article I thought was cool is IBM is saying that this will improve performance by 45% while using 75% less power right. compared to the seven nanometer processor. So um, right. you're just getting, you might see your phone last, if your phone lasts a day or two now, you might see it last four or five days or, or something like that, um, yeah. which would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's just a so. continuing of this process, getting it shrunk down more and more and more, getting it more efficient. Um, Two nanometer, that's small. Cause even the processor I'm running right now is uh mine is 32 nanometers. Okay. So that would be what, 16 times bigger than what that would be. The, so, right? How much more power yeah. does that draw, right? Yeah. Um, so that's still tiny, but yeah, you're, yeah. So it's good. It's cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just new tech coming and it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, the first thing I saw when I saw this article was that's not small, <laughs> but um, yeah. it's not one processor he's holding. <laughs> no, I realize that because <laughs> I'm like, that's the size of a basketball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be multiple processors just for the record. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. Well, we do have a question of the day here and it reverts back to Nintendo. So our question is, are you excited for Nintendo's Game Builder Garage? And maybe you are, maybe you're not, maybe you don't have a Switch, maybe you use Scratch. Um, so we'd love to hear about that in the comments section below. Are you excited about Game Builder Garage? I think it's really cool. I think it's mm -hmm. something that um, a lot of kids, you know, maybe they have a lot of screen time and this would be better than playing another yeah. round of for Fortnite. So. Um, yeah. I think that it's really cool that way. If you can spend some of that time learning while you're on there, um, your thoughts, yeah. Steven. 
Yeah, I agree. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. some there's some young ones that I know could I think benefit from it who are already inclined towards that. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be just uh, I think they would enjoy it and I think it would teach them. And uh, yeah, I'm ex I'm excited to see how Nintendo handles it. Yeah. And so no. and maybe maybe after we get a hands on of it, maybe we can talk about it some more if we if one of us has a chance to try it out. For sure. Yeah. So, so leave a comment on that, whether you think it's a cool thing or whether you plan on buying it. I know it is available for pre-order already on Nintendo's website. So that's pretty cool. I guess that wraps up episode eight of the Tech Chit Chat Show. We had a great time with you today. Um, remember yeah. to like and subscribe here on YouTube as well as on our podcasting platforms and leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Until next time, thank you so much for watching and take care.